the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. Well, I don't know about all that. Uh, maybe some of that works. Maybe a little bit of that is is true of yours. Truly, I certainly try to be an inspiration. I try to be um, a thought-provoking, edifying, encouraging, challenging um, voice on Mondays at least to help you think through um, where we are in our world and what we are up to and what the challenges are. Um, so, yeah, glad to be with you on this Monday edition of Lifeline. If you uh, if you want to get prepared, you want to poise yourself for a conversation, the number is one 367 is the number to get on board of the thought train. Uh, you, you don't need no ticket. Just get on board. Some of y'all will know that old school song. Um, Liberty without virtue is a curse. It's a statement that I heard back, oh, maybe a couple hundred years ago when I was in college and um, had one of these very charismatic uh, history teachers, Mr. Brown, who um, was just so dynamic in kind of making history uh, relevant and interesting uh, to a young brother, 18 years old, 19, maybe even 20 at the time, uh, late evenings after work, going to school, trying to move forward in my career and sitting in that class wondering, could I endure for two hours in, in the evening? And Mr. Brown, who also was a uh, preacher, as well, strutted on in with his hefty self, and he would pop his thick Coke bottle glasses on and begin to uh, uh, talk to us about history and really try to bring it to life. I, I really enjoyed that part about his his character. He knew how to tell the story. You could tell that he loved history as well. And we were, I think we were dealing with the era of the Industrial Revolution, particularly for America, um, shortly after uh, we invaded the Americas and, and dominated and began to set up our, our structures uh, for and against the European, uh, European, uh, if you will, uh, tyranny that drove uh, drove many many of the settlers here into the Americas. But one thing that he he spoke of uh, relative to the period of the Industrial Revolution that is still actually not only dogging us today, but blessing us in a lot of ways, because the Industrial Revolution was really the precursor to what I want to talk about today, and that's artificial intelligence relative to what the Bible has to say to you and I about uh, 
the loss of freedom, the loss of uh, benefits uh, as a consequence of bad behavior. And that's why I uttered the title Liberty Without Virtue is a Curse. And if you've been following me for years in my preaching and teaching, you've heard me say it before. And it, it it does have a fundamentally redemptive sense. There's no doubt about it. The Bible is clear that all mankind has fallen into sin and therefore is in bondage us in their hearts and in their minds and enslaved to sin. That's what Christ said in John chapter eight. Ye are uh, enslaved to sin. The one that serves sin is the slave of sin. The one that's continually sinning is a slave of sin. And it's an unpopular concept today where humanism dominates everything in the political, social world, as well as even in the church. You don't tell mankind that he is a slave, but in fact of matter, everything that he does indicates that he is. And the term liberty without virtue was uh, coined by many, many people going back hundreds of years ago. And uh, the the phrase that I, I gathered came out of a book written by an Asian guy. I think he was Japanese who had written about uh, the history of the Americas. And as I was reading through the era of the Industrial Revolution, where machines became um, prolifically involved in the development of American society and and uh, the conflict between mankind as a servile instrument in the production of goods and in the uh, world of commerce and in the field of uh, of uh, of selling uh, produce for the purpose of our existence was really the topic in that day. Even then, in the 15, 1600s, 1700s, the question was, 1800s was, you know, will machine take away man's relevance? Will the tractor, will the backhoe, will these different tools that we can now operate out of gas and out of coal and eventually out of electricity? And here we are today, uh, executing some massive, massive revelations around power uh, and uh, technology that has allowed us to begin to contemplate phenomenal, phenomenal feats of what we know was even then artificial intelligence. Or when you can, when you can program a machine to do something for you, there you have it, artificial intelligence, even as, if it's as uh, arcane and uh, archaic as controlling, controlling a, a printer to print out paper. We use it every day. That's artificial intelligence and, and many other things to boot. But back then, they were really worried about one thing. Will technology, will machinery Will these powerful instruments at the hand of men and bu- buttons back in the day was buttons you pushed and levers you 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 pulled or pushed and uh, the machine would do what we wanted to do and eventually we could time it to do it in in certain uh, algorithms to get things done and we could anticipate how much would get done and now you're looking at how factories have worked and how factories have mass produced goods and mass produced foods and mass produced almost all kind of stuff by which the industrial revolution really did change our world. But the question then for which there was all kinds of swirlings of, uh, of apocalyptic uh, uh, anticipation and judgments uh, that were hurled by prophets and preachers of fear at that time, because they didn't know how to reckon with technology uh, dominated many people's thoughts until it became evident that 
Well, it just wasn't so. It was not so that technology back then in the Industrial Revolution would totally take away uh, man's relevance, man's purpose, and man's uh, essential participation in the workforce. In fact, it increased it in a lot of ways because the locus of the discovery of technology at the level of the Industrial Revolution at that time was in a small quarter of the world. Now we can take that power. Now we can take that technology and we can service the world. At one time, we could only service a small local uh, local uh, arena. Now we can service the world. And we've been servicing the world now for several hundreds of years because of technology. Well, that's what we are now in our global world. In our global world, we are servicing the world. The world has become smaller because of technology. It's become smaller because of artificial intelligence. It become, it's become smaller because of the integration of technology with the presence and oversight and influence. And here's the word control of mankind. Now I say all that to say this, the real fear that I think is valid uh, that the early forefathers had around technology and the industrial revolution and the, the anticipation of machinery becoming so smart and so productive and so efficient that it could really uh, take over mankind. The real fear was really not so much with, with the machine, but with Dr. Frankenstein himself. The creator of the machine. Now, that's where the real problem comes in because technology has allowed us to advance the capacity for massive wars around the world, even to the level, as you, you and I know, uh, nuclear armament and, and annihilation of the world in just a few moments. Now, that is where you and I have to really think through why liberty without virtue is a curse. Now, I'm going to read a little article before I take a break around that. And then what I want to talk to you a little bit about coming back from the break is something I thought about around artificial intelligence that has actually been appealing to me recently. And I want to share a movie uh, that I saw in conjunction with what I experienced there. And then I'm going to open the phone lines for a conversation with you around the pros and cons of artificial intelligence, the warnings that scripture would render around the uh, deceptive uh, elements of a technologically advanced culture that gives us the illusion that we don't need God. The deceptive elements in an artificially uh, intelligenced and advanced culture that gives us the illusion that we don't need God. The ability for Frankenstein to create a monster who, unlike in the movies, just got lost in his big old clumsy self, not able to maintain any kind of obedience to his master and becomes uh, a means of havoc and destruction to the citizenry in the town, which movie had a larger, if you know it, metaphorical and uh, 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 socially uh, prophetic connotation. <clears throat> the issue will be for you and I, uh, what do we need to worry about about artificial intelligence relative to the world we live in and how we ought to walk as believers. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about. So let me read an article by, um, uh, by David Urban around some of the authors of the concept of liberty. And notice what they say. And this is important for you if you're a professing believer. John Milton, this is one of the uh, early Englishmen who were part of the settlement in America uh, on liberty, license, and virtuous self-government. 
This is what the article by Mr. Urban says. The notion that genuine liberty is predicated upon virtuous self-government was an accepted ideal among many of the United States founders. During the founding era, this ideal was perhaps best expressed in a 1791 letter by the Irish-born British parliamentarian Edmund Burke, excuse me, who wrote, men are qualified for civil liberty in exact proportion to their disposition to put moral chains upon their own appetites. Listen to what he said again. Men are qualified for civil liberty in exact proportion to their disposition to put moral chains upon their own appetites. It is ordained in the eternal constitution of things that men of temperate minds cannot, intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. Do you notice what he said? Men of intemperate mind, men of, of a lack of self-control, men who don't know how to rein in their mores, rein in their passions, rein in their lusts, create their own fetters. That's right. And, and I'm talking now. As the proverb puts it, the ways of a transgressor are hard. According to Solomon, again, your iniquities have become your cords. So in a sense, he got that right. I go on. Burke's convictions and concerns were anticipated by the English poet and in term statesman John Milton in 1608 to to uh, 1674. Throughout his writings, Milton addressed the idea of genuine liberty or freedom over against the self-indulgence that he sometimes called license, a self-indulgence that inevitably leads to tyranny from within and from without. And there it is again. For Milton, the distinction between liberty and license is first and foremost a theological matter. For true liberty comes from Christ giving believers freedom from the sin that brings about licentious indulgence. Such liberty, once gained, frees the individual to live according to the the, uh, mature, self-regulating Christian conscience. Milton articulates this explicitly in On Christian Doctrine, his posthumously discovered theological treatise. Christian liberty means that Christ, our liberator, frees us from, watch this now, the slavery of sin, and thus from the rule of the law and of men as if we were emancipated slaves. He does this so that being made sons instead of servants, And grown men, instead of boys, we may serve God in charity through the guidance of the spirit of truth. Sounds like our uh, theme verse for those of you who are part of Grace Bible Church, right? Proverbs 11, verse 3, part A, right? The integrity of the upright shall guide them. One more statement before I go to the break. Milton goes on to say, uh, it goes on to say that Milton's understanding of Christian liberty emphasizes the individual Christian's ability to self-govern by exercising liberty of conscience according to the Spirit's guidance. Further affirmation of our theme. Within the context of obedience to the Word of God. But Milton also warns against the slavery of sin, a slavery brought about by the perverted exercise of liberty that he considered license. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as we get ready to go to a break, think about what he is stating and and mark how absent these kinds of clear biblical framework principles are in our politicians today. Mark how our politicians do not talk about virtue, do not talk about ethics and morals at the level of a, a conscience that is 
forged by principles from the word of God and certainly never talking about the spirit of God being the means of reigning us in. You see how far we have gone away from a standard of virtue. It's no wonder that much of what we call liberty today is really liberty away from God and not liberty to God. Now, given that particular fact, what in the world can we expect to occur with artificial intelligence? The power for us to give way to machines to do for us what we could do for ourselves or can't do for ourselves. What can we expect as men who lack divine virtue, divine ethics, divine integrity to experience if artificial intelligence takes over? I'm going to give you one word and then we're going to come back and unpack this more. We can experience domination by the artificial intelligence over mankind because mankind does not know how to self-govern. We will be controlled by artificial intelligence. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan. Don't touch that dial. The number is one 367 one We'll be going to the book of Revelation and talking a little bit about this kind of framework in the metaphor and analogy that John gives us about the control factors of the beast and how it will play out to us, at least in the 21st century. So I'm glad you're with me. Got to take a break, pay some bills. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is 526 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. You are welcome. Let me see here. You're welcome to give me a call if you want to. one 367 one If you have been part of the opening monologue where I am talking about the, 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 the phrase that was used frequently in the 16th, 17th century um when uh when when uh when when Europe and America was forging its way uh as a Christian nation ostensibly speaking uh and pressing home the issues of virtue in the lives of mankind particularly as we escalated in our capacity to be able to uh to produce and to make things and to and to uh sell things and to uh basically move into the modern era the industrial level revolution uh, revolution the industrial uh Revolution was all about moving into the modern era. And in that modern era, we are always asking the question, where are we in terms of how do we behave as we face these new horizons and new technologies and new opportunities to continue to shape and mold ourselves as human beings and then to employ ourselves uh, in the world? Where um, are the morals and ethics and standards of uh of conduct by which as we engage in this, let's call it prosperity, because that's really what it was. The Industrial Revolution was a time of great prosperity uh, when when a man could now uh, purchase, a, 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 again, a backhoe and a tractor, uh, he can do 10 times more of the work than he could have done with two oxen or, or, or four donkeys or, or horses, if you will. Uh, let alone the level of maintenance that I had to go into it. Now, I, I know there are some of you who are far more acutely aware of the pros and cons of both the Industrial Revolution and the modern age, which has brought us positives and negatives. I get the negatives. I mean, pollution is a massive negative. Uh, the consequences of uh, the emissions are a massive negative. I'm, I'm fully aware of that and, and, and completely sympathetic to it as well. 
Doesn't mean I want to go back to the horse and buggy days. Doesn't mean that I want to uh, take on the path of the Amish. And I have nothing against the Amish, but I do not think that they solve the problem whatsoever, particularly from an evangelical uh, gospel mandate standpoint. Um, Bless their heart. They tried as much as they could to avoid the modern era. But now you see them with cell phones and you see them with different, uh, again, gadgets and and uh, uh, modern uh, inventions for their own benefit and own good. What does that mean? That simply means that you and I are going to always seek comfort. We're going to always seek a better way to enjoy our lives. It's just who we are. And so, again, uh, there is. Uh, the the compelling thought that we're working through that's important around liberty and freedom and prosperity with virtue or without virtue. I do want to read a little bit more on this article, and then I want to share with you what I have in front of me are the pros and cons, uh, the good and bad and the ugly of some some of the more present technologies that I, that have been appealing to me of of recently. But let me just read this article. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll move on in our thoughts. Milton's discussion of liberty, license, and virtuous self-regulation is perhaps the most explicit in his uh, track, Tenure of Kings and Magistrates, written just before the January 30, 1649 execution of King Charles I. In this track's opening paragraph, Milton asserts, For indeed, none can love freedom heartily. But good men, the rest love not freedom, but license. Please listen to what he's saying. None can love freedom heartily. That is with sincerity and a great deal of gratitude. But good men, the rest do not love freedom. They love license. And I've used that word several times. My folks at church will know what that means. It comes out of our King James Bible, maybe in some other translations. But license is always a misuse of liberty, the opportunity for uh, immoral and intemperate practice. Licentiousness simply means you live a vulgar and unprincipled life because you're free to do it. So that's what uh, Milton means. But license, some people are not in love with freedom. They're in love with the opportunity to engage in profligate behavior, which never hath more scope or more indulgence than under tyrants. Now, here is another application of it. And this is what Lord Atkins plainly said. You guys know this power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. What? Absolutely. According to Milton, bad men are all naturally servants. They desire to have the public state conformably governed to the inward vicious rule by which they govern themselves. And they color over their base compliances with the falsified name of loyalty and obedience. In some, Milton argues that tyrants and bad men get along quite well because bad men loving license, governed by vice, and incapable of self-regulation do not threaten tyrants but contentedly submit to them as long as they do not disturb their self-indulgence. By contrast, tyrants fear in earnest those men in whom virtue and true worth most is most imminent. Such virtuous men are subject to those tyrants 
hatred, and suspicions. Self-regulating virtuous persons threaten tyrants because loving liberty and goodness, they recognize that tyrants obstruct the freedom to live according to a virtuous conscience. Now, whether you know it or not, Milton is describing the conflict and opposition that occurred when Jesus came into the world. Jesus is the epitome of liberty. He's the epitome of freedom. And who most hated Christ but the Pharisees and Sadducees, the aristocrats, the rulers of Israel, the, the Sanhedrin, and, and the high priests? Why? Because Christ exposed them for being tyrannical in their legalistic religion of dominating the people, imposing upon them grievous laws that they couldn't bear the people, and nor would the rulers bear. This played itself out in many centuries hence. When the Catholic Church entered into the the diabolical uh, relationship of politics and religion, starting largely not so much with uh, uh, our third century or fourth century, but in the 10th century or the first thousand years with Charlemagne, when it really became much more, much more dominant than in the third or fourth century with Constantine. Constantine initiated an opening relationship on a level of politics and Christianity for sure. But it never really took root until the era of Constantine where Constantine is now not Constantine, but Charlemagne where Charlemagne now is actually conflating both the papacy with, uh, with the, uh, with the uh, secular rule of the state in Rome. At that point, you really now do have your hybrid of political religio power dominating the Western world at that time. That's when the church split massively between the Orthodox Church and the Western uh, Roman Church. That's where you really officially get your Roman Catholic Church. Before that, it was the Catholic Church in Rome, but not so much called the Roman Catholic Church. And, and what military is saying here is that when men are able to have power by virtue of political positions, and I've been preaching over the, on this over the last two weeks, the juxtaposition uh, of a pious gospel-driven man and an uh, angry political man. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, Christ clearly tells the believer, do not fall prey to the false fuel and fire of anger, which will make you political. Uh, versus you being filled with the spirit and driven by the passion of love so that you might be a a pious gospel driven man or woman. Uh, The distinction was clear. Christ was a passionate, fiery, pious man of righteousness, but he never gave himself over to the political haranguings and hostilities of that, again, diabolical system to have control over people, dominate people's lives, rule over people tyrannically as both religion and politics has done for thousands of years, even up to the present time. Uh, Milton says that political rulers have of this ilk have no desire for a truly righteous people. And here's the reason why when you and I are truly righteous, when we are truly empowered by the spirit of God, when we are truly walking in the Liberty where with Christ has made us free. And when we're, we are truly walking in virtue and integrity, that's our theme this year for many of you who are following with me. With me, You don't need the kind of draconian, overbearing, uh, ungodly laws that tyrants impose upon you. As Paul put it in 1 Timothy, 
The law is for the unrighteous man, the ungodly man, the wicked man, the vile man, the immoral man, the, the antisocial man, the, the wicked man. That's what the law is for, to restrain him, control him, punish him, dominate him. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're living in a culture today where our laws are being constructed to inhibit righteousness, to refrain from moral and ethical equities. Our laws are written again, and they are being imposed in ways that are creating more bondage, no freedom. And to that degree, the prophecy still reigns true. Liberty without virtue is a curse. Liberty without virtue is a curse, and it ends up working its way out in your life and in mine in many different ways. Up to this point, you and I get in trouble when we make right, wrong choices and do wrong things and engage in wrong practices and, and engage in self-destructive behavior. Uh, and it ends up hurting us monetarily, uh, relationally, socially. It'll hurt us spiritually without a doubt. It will devastate us in terms of economics because the man or the woman that is not really principled will not be a good, good worker on their job. It just won't be the case. And so these kinds of vices that Milton is is warning against, uh, they come true in our lives on a personal level. But they're also coming true in our nation on a political level. The more we uh, vote in wicked and ungodly men who don't rule according to the word of God, according to Second Samuel, First uh, Samuel 24, which plainly says he that ruleth among men must be just ruling in the fear of God so that he can be like the sun shining down upon the ground so that it can bring forth fruit and that God can be glorified and men can be happy. Well, we end up having the kind of world we have today. I'm going to take another break, and when I come back, I want to talk to you about something so interesting that I, I think you're, going to, you're definitely going to want to talk to me about it once we get here, because I'm ambiguous right now. I'm ambiguous. So I'm, I'm going to need your help on this one. I'm ambiguous, okay? All right, I'll be right back uh, after we take this break. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time, 542. I want to read just one more excerpt from um, Milton, John Milton, on the subject of liberty. Liberty, as he was speaking in the year 1654, uh, he spoke to the very prominent Oliver Cornwell, Cromwell, if you remember him, uh, in the Commonwealth in England. He made these remarks. In a, uh, in a note to him, British citizens in general are to work to be a nation characterized by the liberty of virtuous self-government. This is what Milton urged uh, the Commonwealth and Lord Protector Oliver Cromwell to consider. He said British citizens in general are to work to be a nation characterized by the liberty of virtuous self-government. As his track concludes, Milton tells his countrymen that now, now listen carefully. To be free is precisely the same as to be pious, wise, just, and temperate, careful of one's property. Now, notice what he says, careful of one's property, aloof from another's, and thus finally be magnanimous and brave. Moreover, to be the opposite to these qualities is the same as to be a slave. Milton tells his audience that if the hope of avoiding slavery, they must learn to obey right reason and to master themselves. 
Now, this is quite interesting, given where you and I are today with a whole lot of the conversation around slavery, because it would have been very much true that on the ground, while Milton is talking to Cromwell and others of his uh, his 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 common his uh, Englishman uh, brethren, uh, they would have been very much still very much steeped in slavery, uh, holding men in bondage. And controlling their lives. So so while they're talking liberty, they are still uh, enslaving men and women. And what 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 uh, Milton is saying here makes all the sense in the world. He said, eventually, if we are acting in a a, a avarice way, a way of greed, a way of control, a way of dominating others instead of working on self-control and temperance and and personal virtue, we're all going to end up slaves. And that's where we are in Europe right now. That's where we are in England right now. That's where we are even in America right now. In a lot of ways, uh, there's more slavery and bondage and 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 uh, oppression and uh, darkness and and uh, vice now than there ever was. Way more slavish bondage and oppression and vice and and uh, tyranny than there ever was. What Milton was saying prophetically is that if we don't have a virtue within ourselves to control ourselves, something else is going to control us. And and historically, ladies and gentlemen, it has always been the state that man of sin, according to Second Thessalonians chapter uh, two, that that sits in the center of the society and 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 acts as if it's God and decrees and and works mightily to control the lives of men. This is what we see in Revelation chapter thirteen with beast one and beast two, politics and religion, working to control and legislate through policy the domination of of the lives of men. Why? Because when we don't walk in liberty. <clears throat> Somebody else is going to control us. Like the proverb puts it, uh, he that is slothful in his ways will be under tribute. Now, let me move to uh, the point that I wanted to make around this connection between artificial intelligence, uh, the t- technical revolution, the, the industrial revolution and where we are today uh, and, and my thoughts about it. Now, I was coming home from uh, the conference Two weeks ago, Friday and Saturday, as we talked about it, having a wonderful time at Valley Bible Church with the men there on Friday and then on Saturday, a full day on Saturday. We ended that conference about five o'clock exact. And as I moved out to head home after enjoying a thoroughly wonderful time with over 350 men, uh, I was thinking about my, my sons that were there, my son-in-laws that were there, and, I, and my family that was there, not not my wife, but my, my son-in-laws, and that was a, a great privilege there as well as my son. And then many sons in the faith, just a wonderful time. I'm going home and enjoying being on cloud nine for having preached and taught and, and really engaged in a lot of critically important things for men. And I look over, I'm on Highway 80, and I look over and I see my son, uh, riding with his brother-in-law, my son-in-law, Will. And uh, Will is one of these, uh, like my kids, I got a son that's kind of a geek, and Will is a geek, and we got a few of them in the family that just love technology. And Will runs his own business, and uh, he's driving one of these uh, cars that basically drive themselves. Uh, Tesla. It's a Tesla car. I'm, I'm driving down 80, 
And I'm tired as all get up. I really am tired. And and I got a decent car. I got an old school Mercedes, but it'll do it'll do the job, you know. Get out my way and let me roll 80, 90 miles an hour, and then the car's nice. Other than that, it's just a glorified Volkswagen. But but I'm ro- rolling down the highway, and I'm going, man, I'm tired. I got to keep, I got to stay awake here because it's been a long day. I've been up since about 7 o'clock. I look over, and I'm watching my son and son-in-law, uh, my sons in the faith and my sons-in-law, and I'm watching them talking back and forth at each other and laughing and going on, and I'm going... Who's driving the car? <laughs> and then I looked at the car and I go, it's a Tesla. I said, Wilden bought him one of them self-driving cars. I mean, they were just having a great time. You know, and you, if you're driving your own car, you can look over, but you got to be careful. They just looking over, relaxing and enjoying each other. They beat me to the house. And when I finally got home after stopping and picking me up some food, I got out the car and they were still standing out the car outside talking. I said, Will, man, you look like you weren't driving that thing. He says, yeah, dad, this is a this is one of those self-driving cars. And I was thinking while I was heading home and I I, I just my intuition said he was the car was driving itself. I was saying, now, see, right about now. I think I could have a car like that because if I could just hit the uh, control manual and make it go from uh, from Hercules to Castro Valley, Valley automatically, I could just lean back and just like nod a little bit. I'm not going to go fully asleep, but I'm going to nod a little bit because I'm so tired that I really do want to pull over and stop. But I don't because I can't. Because I got to drive. And I thought, you know, hmm, that's interesting. Would a car that can drive itself, computer controlled, uh, uh, already been test marketed many years ago, it's on the road, it's as close as my son-in-law now, which means, you know, I'll be in the car in a moment because he says, Dad, come on, you can ride with me anytime, and I'm going to do it. I want to see what it's like. Um... To just be driven around in a car that will do what you say. Now, remember, it's doing what I say right now. And and what kind of impact is that going to be when over time we see the, the virtue of artificial intelligence working over against the non-virtue of human idiosyncrasy and human weakness and human foibles? So, see, when I come back from the break, what I'm going to do is read to you the good, the bad, and the ugly of self-driving cars as a premise to our discussion around AI. Because in a few years, either you're going to be owning a self-driving car or you're going to be driving around self-driving cars, which we're doing today. Or you're going to be on public transportation that's self-driven, like we're on planes that are self-driven. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. Now, see, I'm thinking about that commercial around the movie Jesus the Christ. Okay? But if the if, if Christ is gonna go, I am the resurrection and the life, I'm probably not gonna see it. Okay? I'm probably not gonna see it because why does it have to have this kind of weird sound coming? Almost all of your cult leaders sound like that. Almost all of these weird groupy guys with their wide-eyed, you know, deep, exoteric expressions sound like that. Christ, 
Christ was Jewish, all right? He, he, he probably sounded a lot like me, all right? Just more just normal and expressive. This notion of, I am the rest. Where does that come from? I mean, okay, you're going to use artistic license to, 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 to animate and try to capture his character. But what biblical content gives you the notion that somehow Christ was just going around like a man in a, uh, you know, any kind of just uh, surreal way? Nothing in the Bible even remotely assumes Christ was some kind of uber man, some kind of transcendent figure that glowed and, 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 and just kind of reeked this kind of otherworldliness. He was as normal a man as you and I, and he certainly wouldn't have been affecting his voice like many of the cons in that day and ours, by the way. <laughs> particularly in preaching, uh, when they want to tell you that God's speaking to them, God's speaking to them. Um, watch out for that stuff. Watch out for all that affectation. Integrity says be who you are. God can use you the way you are. You don't have to affect your voice. That that only gets shallow people. Politicians do that. Hillary Clinton does it, and, and Bill Clinton did it, and, and even Obama did it. You, he go to certain states, and he sounds like a countryman. Uh, he go to a bunch of black churches, and now he's drawing like black people. Hillary and them did that. I'm, superficial, carnal, means nothing whatsoever. Just, just, just don't, even, don't even waste the time. People can talk to you in normal uh, tone nations and normal voices, normal inflections, and, and, uh, and you can get the point. Anyhow, let me get back to the self-driving car. Now, now uh, maybe about four or five years ago, I was saying, you know, I, nah, not me. Not me. I don't think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to just leave the self-driving cars alone. But I I knew I knew that artificial intelligence, which has already been with us for so long already on so many levels. Do you know, by the way, that uh, the fact that you and I are so dependent upon our our cell phones makes us a quasi slave of the uh, artificial intelligence system? I hope you know that. Um, and with regards to many of our, our um, very important um, uh, commodities, homes, there are people whose homes uh, can be now locked and alarmed from their computer. And that computer, our cell phone, goes to a central station that can monitor that. And, 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 and now what that means is you can lock yourself out, you can unlock yourself, and somebody else can too. You know how you get in your car and your car after a minute will automatically lock when when you start driving off? Well, all of this is artificial intelligence operating in a so-called way to help you and in a fashion to protect you because these automatic locking devices are designed to keep kids from getting out the car while the car is moving. I got that. But you know now our government has the ability to stop your car on the road. Just, Just not only stop your car, pull your car over. I'm sorry. That's the case. In a minute, when a person's committing a crime, and they're probably already doing this, a lot of times I've been talking about stuff over the last 12 years, and while I'm talking about it, it's already occurring, where thieves are stealing cars, and next thing they know, they're locked in the car. Car's pulled over and stopped right there on the spot, and here comes the police. Now, what is that all about? Well, it's actually all about the good, bad, and ugly of artificial intelligence. 
So I'm going to read an article uh, before we have to do another break and go on the other side. And uh, this is about self-driving cars. It's by Science and Technology. Fascinating article. Everything is saying is what I had thought many years ago. Uh, are you ready to give up on the wheel? What it says, are you ready to give up on the will? For me, this is a larger metaphor for giving up on control, period. Because we're getting ready to let somebody else have control over our lives. Now watch this. They say self-driving cars are coming. In fact, they're already here. A self-driving truck transported beer in Colorado. In California, they are logging literally thousands of miles. Car manufacturers and major tech companies like Google, Uber, Tesla, and most recently Apple are competing to stay on the cutting edge of this technology. It's no longer a matter of if, but rather when, the streets and highways of our world become populated by self-driving machines with people in cargo as their ideal passengers. People in cargo. Technology change usually comes upon us whether we like it or not. But even... A feeling of inevitability shouldn't excuse a lack of reflection. Technological progress isn't an inherent good. It brings with it much more than that. It's a good statement. Technological progress is is not an inherent good. It brings with it much more than that. And the Bible would say that, too. I know. I know. Just listen. Let's take a look at self-driving cars and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Self-driving cars. Here's the good about self-driving cars. Over 37,000 Americans, that is, one point, uh, over 37,000 Americans and 1.3 million people globally die every year in automobile accidents. Those are staggering numbers. It's the ninth leading cause of death globally, apart from HIV. And it's the only non-disease entry on the top 10 list. In other words, those of us who enjoy driving the vehicle as a privilege and an honor and a necessity, that car is the uh, it's at least the accomplice of the second highest death rates in the world. It goes on to say, have you ever thought about the uh, power that's in your hand when you drive a car? It's actually quite remarkable that we entrust millions of people across the world, you and me con- concluded, uh, included, to navigate two a two-ton metal machine speeding at 60 miles per hour between buildings, pedestrians, and other vehicleists. We're not even that good. He's right. While human driving error is not the sole cause of all 1.3 million deaths, some estimates put the number of accidents committed, committed, committed through human error as high as 94%. Self-driving cars might not be able to eliminate all driving fatalities, but couldn't they lower the number? So here's where he's he's talking about one of the benefits of self-driving cars. And if this if this if this particular op, um, observation is true, then it, it then it serves to merit the point that I was making earlier that liberty without virtue is a what? Right, because if we're driving crazy and we're behaving uh, non-virtuously in our cars and we are uh, killing people to the tune of 1.3 million a year around the world, then that liberty might just be taken away from us. Almost a third of fatal traffic accidents in the U.S. are caused by drunk drivers, around 10,000. And then additionally, cell phone use and texting have led to a spike in accidents related to distracted driving. Uh Uh-huh. How many times have you seen the text person, the cell phone person, on the side of you or in the front of you, there for five seconds after the light turned? You know what I'm saying. It's true. You also know you've done it. 
and I've done it too. According to the Center for Disease Control, distracted driving kills more than eight people and and injures more than a thousand people each day in the U.S. alone. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration estimates that 80 percent of traffic accidents and 16 percent of traffic fatalities are related to distracted driving. And so we arrive at the good. While further arguments could be made for efficiency gains, financial benefits, and even the prospect of creating transportation independence for the blind or disabled, I kind of like that one. If we get to the point where, um, where, where, where self-driving cars are so efficient in going from point A to point B and they can't be distracted in the same fashion you and I can, they can help our disabled and they can help our blind. The good self-driving cars can save lives. That's one of the biggest benefits and one of the biggest pushes towards them becoming part of our society. Now, think about that. You're giving up control. You're giving up control when you let them take over and, and drive you from point A to point B. But in giving up that control, you may be saving lives. You may be contributing to saving lives because, you know, um, some of us don't drive well and will never, ever drive well. You know that. Anyhow. Self-driving cars, and here's the bad before I go to the break. Think about your most recent drive. Did you pass any delivery trucks, a local bus, maybe a taxi or two? All those vehicles are piloted by paid employees. Here's some of the bad news. And lots of people make a living by driving millions of people. In fact, roughly 3.5 million people in the U.S. make their living from driving vehicles around. NPR made noise a couple of years ago when they published a map showing the most common job in every state and truck drivers dominated by leading the way in 29 of 50 states. While these statistics statistics don't paint the clearest picture, the fact is that roughly 2.8 million Americans make a living by driving trucks. On top of that, there are taxi drivers. The New York City in New York City alone has over 13,000 medallion-licensed taxi drivers, not to mention all the Uber and Lyft employees uh, there. And then you have your contractors. Across the country, the total number of U.S. licensed taxi drivers and chauffeurs are around 190,000, while Uber claims to engage around 160,000 drivers. Throw in a half a million school bus drivers and around 170,000 transit bus drivers and you get the picture. Lots of jobs. So we arrive at the bad news. Let's skip over the periphery jobs that could also be lost and excuse the fact that the job statistics are U.S. focused. An argument could be made for the negative health effects of safer driving that would worsen the shortage of organ donors. But there is one argument against self-driving cars that's important. I'm laughing because they're saying that. If you if you minimize car deaths, you're going to also minimize organ donations. And he calls that bad. I, I know he has to be facetious with that. The bad self-driving cars will eliminate jobs. That's the bad part. Self-driving cars. And then there's the ugly. But you know what? I'm going to save that for the break. Because I want you and I to really think through the technology that's on top of us. And uh, some of us are going to succumb to it. Some of us are going to need it. Some of us are just going to be uh, dominated by it. Why? Because liberty without virtue is a curse. I'll be right back. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.